Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. It's Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, and episode 39, part two, continues with former Kentucky assistant coach Jim Hatfield. In this episode, Oscar and Coach Hatfield will continue their conversation about recruiting in the SEC, and you will get his thoughts on some of the former coaches in the conference, including one of the wildest stories you ever heard in the lore of SEC basketball that included Dale Brown. Jim Hatfield also shares his thoughts on one former assistant at Kentucky and what made him a great recruiter. And there are some good stories in this episode, too, including what it would take to get a future NBA All-Star to visit a campus. And a question that may go unanswered for years, who was the fat man? How did a Final Four floor end up in the Virgin Islands? Coach Jim Hadfield has that answer. Coach Hadfield has had quite the career coaching, and the stories, they're even better. I'm Bo Robinson, and this is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, and his guest, Coach Jim Hadfield. You trust your fellow coaches? in the SEC when it comes to recruiting? Trust is uh, uh, not really. I mean, in in recruiting, uh, boy, I can go back to a lot of stories there, Oscar, but whether it be Tree Rollins and and uh, Tate and I mean, you can – just about every player, there's a story. Every recruit, there's a story. And uh, uh, in recruiting uh, – I remember going into the motel one time, checking in with another coach, and he set his briefcase down. He checked in, and his briefcase was gone when he got ready to get his key and go. Somebody stole his briefcase. Now, that I don't know how that much happened, money. That happened, that happened, I think Art told us in New Orleans one time at an airport. I don't know how much money was in that briefcase, <laughs> but he didn't get the player. <laughs> oh, Lord. But, so, yeah, there are funny things happen on the road. Uh, Who, who's the best recruiter you ran up against? Okay. Uh, number one at Mississippi State and then number two at Kentucky. I thought there were some pretty good recruiters out there. And I, I go back to the first time I was at Kentucky. It was a guy at Maryland, Lefty's assistant. Lefty was a good recruiter. He had an assistant named Dave Pritchett. Now, Dave Pritchett would work. I have, I have been in the hotel room with Dave Pritchett, and he's on the phone recruiting and he'll say just a minute he'll lay the phone down run in the bathroom and come back and get back on the phone he he just he was tenacious uh and he was successful in getting lefty some players uh you know a guy became a head coach there at maryland um, um george rabbling what a recruiter george rabbling was uh so there there those were at that time, if you remember Eddie Fogler at North Carolina with Dean Smith, um, most of the recruiting and coaches who were involved in recruiting at a high level 
uh, were in the East Coast. Uh, they were not a laid-back group in the East Coast. You had uh, Howie Garfinkel's camps, his five-star camps. That was when there was only one five-star camp. And uh, so your East Coast coaches were much more tenacious in their recruiting uh, than they were in the, in the South. Uh, South was pretty much a regionally and locally recruited group of players or, or, or coaches recruited locally and regionally. Um, but the... Uh, uh, Let me ask you, throw a couple, three names sure. at you. Sure. Roger Banks. Didn't know Roger. I knew Roger's reputation. What was Roger's, his reputation? Well, if you and him are recruiting the same player, go get you another one. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically it because you, know, you wouldn't go out and spin Roger. Tavester Anderson. Tavester Anderson. I worked for Tavester at Murray State. Tavester hired me. Tavester Anderson uh, was great with mamas. Oh, I mean, he could when he got in the kitchen, it was over. Um, yeah, and, and you know, Oscar, I, I guess when you we, we need to when you talk about recruiting, there's so many parts to recruiting. One's the the evaluation process. There are some coaches that are really good at evaluating, but they're not good at closing and establishing rapport to get a kid. But they're pretty good evaluators. Uh, you got to be able to evaluate, and then you do have to have the personality to zero in. And, and establish rapport, beginning with the high school coach, because he's going to be there for a long time, and continuing on through the parents. Art Tolis. Great. Great. I learned a lot from Art. Johnny Jones. Johnny. I recruited Johnny Jones. Johnny Jones was from DeRitter, Who Louisiana. people may not know was the he last was, LSU head coach before. Yeah. I would not. Uh, I'd have to classify Johnny Jones as a good recruiter. Uh, I recruited him out of Dritter High School, and, and uh, of course he, he went to uh, uh, LSU. But uh, I liked Johnny. Uh, but other than knowing him after he was a player, I didn't really know Johnny that well as a coach and, and his habits and what he did and how he got players. And uh, I know he, he could get players. A guy who you recruited against and with, Leonard Hamilton. Leonard's the best because Leonard works. He leaves no stone unturned. Uh, Leonard will know the coach, the mama, the daddy, the cousin, the nephew, the next-door neighbor. Leonard covers all the bases, but what he's great at is establishing that rapport. One, he can evaluate. So one, you evaluate talent, which he can do. And two, you begin to zero in on who is the key person that's going to be able to impact this kid's decision. And that's who I'm going to zero. Girlfriend or whatever. You've got to identify who's the key person that's going to be involved with this kid. And that's who you got to recruit. Let's talk about a few of the coaches that you were around during the time. All had great personalities, and just tell me something that maybe you know that nobody else knows about them. And uh, we'll start out with Hugh Darrell. Hugh, uh, a Louisville at, native. Yeah, uh, 
I, I knew he when he was at Florida State. And I had a good friend of mine, uh, Dick Danford, that played at Florida State. Dick was 6'10", kid, played with uh, uh, Callens, and uh, uh, played for Hugh there. And uh, always respected Hugh. And I'd go to their practices. That year that I uh, was waiting, I was the head coach at South Louisiana, waiting for us to start our season. Uh, that's one of the schools I visited to, to visit with Hugh. I liked him, and I thought he was a – a good recruiter, and I thought he was a good coach. He was organized and structured in his offenses. This was before the passing game and the dribble drive and, and the stuff we see now. And Hugh had a system, and he stuck to it and demanded perfection. Don DeVoe. Don also was a very good coach, very good X and O man. Uh, that, was his, that was his strength. Did he make a mistake in trying to – Resurrect that Florida program that one year? No question. I thought Don DeVoe, uh, I don't know what happens different places, Virginia Tech, Tennessee, Florida, wherever, but I don't know. But uh, I thought Don DeVoe was a very good, solid basketball coach. Sonny Smith. Sonny was always a pleasure to be around. He, he uh, When he would uh, come to Starkville, uh, he'd always come, and before the game, we'd – uh, I, I, I'll tell you a story. I, I don't know. Sonny may have told you this when he was here. Uh, Sonny was at Auburn. He comes to Mississippi State to play. And I'm in the coach's locker room there, sitting there, and knock on the door. And it's Sonny. And we got about an hour before a game. And I said, Sonny, come on in. He sat down. And we started talking. He said, well, Jim, this is it. I've already been told. This is my last year. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I tried to encourage him. I said, well, it's not over yet. He said, oh, yeah, I've already been told it's over. Long story short, daggone guy goes out, starts winning some games, and he wins in the SEC tournament. He gets a new contract. So he went from the middle of the season from being told he's out of a job to getting a new contract. And, and Sonny was the kind of person. That actually happened. That actually happened, yeah. Yeah, that actually happened. Uh, at a time that Eddie Sutton tried to get that job in the middle of the year. I don't know about that, but it could be. Yeah. It could be. I, I don't know. Um, there, there, are, there are a lot of good people in coaching, and uh, Sonny is one of them. Sim Newton. Good guy. Sim was always uh, uh, easygoing. Pleasant to be around, and enjoyed competing against him when he was Alabama. Um, uh, we had I had one of his players who who quit on CM. He left. Well, actually, CM ran him off. A kid named Kent Looney, good point guard from Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, uh, Kent was a problem. So CM let him go. And I had an assistant coach that knew the whole situation, and he said, Jim, I tell you, we can get Kent. So I can get him. And the problem he had at Alabama was not all his fault. And he said, do you want him? I said, well, of course I want him. And so uh, he went and picked him up, and, and, and Kent worked out for us. But that was a situation where uh, it, it was just a coach and a player that, that didn't work out, but another school 
the coach and player are both successful. So I, I benefited from that. Wimp Sanderson, a guy who was a long, long, long time assistant, and then when CM left, he went into it. And uh, he, as much as Rupp was known for a brown suit, he was known for a checkered coat. Yeah, yeah. Wimp was a good guy. Wimp was was a a, a coach that was always negative. You know, everything. Jar was, was always half empty. That's right. That's right. And Wimp, Wimp, Wimp could cry some tears. <laughs> but I loved him. He was a good guy. We didn't have any problems. He he was all right. Bob Wellick. Again, Wellick was my rival at uh, Ole Miss. And uh, the good thing about Wellick, he's a good guy. And actually, I got to know his wife uh, before I got to know Bob real well. And she was a good person. And, and so we got to know each other, even though we were at rival schools. And uh, uh, both of us understood that we're at schools that uh, football is the primary emphasis. And uh, we do our jobs and do them as good as we can. Uh, but uh, uh, there are other sports that are more important than, than our sport here. John Guthrie. Didn't know John that well, other than when he became the uh, official uh, supervisor officials. Uh, John was a. Uh, How was he as a supervisor? Officials? Great, because he listened to the coaches. Did his time as a coach help him most certainly, in that job? Most certainly, and uh, I had I personally had situations uh, that John handled for me with an official that I didn't have to get involved with. Uh, I mean, I didn't have to go to the newspaper. I didn't have to call the official. I didn't have. I talked to John. John handled it, and um, I, I, he was a great supervisor of officials. John Lotz. Feel sorry for John. Uh, John again was a, a, a Dean Smith protege, and um, at that time, there's a lot of difference in a job at North Carolina basketball and a job at Florida basketball. And John wanted Florida to be in North Carolina, and it just wasn't ever going to happen. And uh, good guy, uh, but that was a tough situation for him because it wasn't the kind of basketball situation that he was used to. Dale Brown. Dale was different. <laughs> Dale and I had our issues. and uh, Tell him about him. Uh, we even met at midcourt one time. Tell me about it. Uh, Where was we, it at, number one? At Mississippi State. Okay. Uh, close game. We win. We're winning. And he had a couple of kids that were, were big kids, uh, Scales and uh, – Dwayne Scales. Scales. Was Cookie Man there then? Mm, who? Cookie Man. Maybe. Great Cook. Oh, no. No, it's before him. But uh, two big kids. Well, we win. And the last part of the game, of course, we're holding the ball. We're ahead. We're holding the ball. Clock's going to run out. With about 30 seconds to go, Dell calls this kid over. And next thing I know, he leaves the bench from Dell and goes out and just tackles my point guard, picks him up and body slams him. Well, all hell broke loose at that time. Coming flying out of the stands was a vodka bottle. I never will forget that vodka bottle hitting midcourt and just spinning around at midcourt. 
Dale is screaming. I'm mad as hell. The officials are trying to break up the fight, and I meet Dale at midcourt. Interesting conversation. Interesting conversation. Dale's words was, I said, he said, what happened? I said, what the hell do you mean what happened? Your kid just body slammed. He says, well, I didn't see nothing. What's going on? He played ignorant. Now, that made it twice as bad for me. <laughs> I didn't see nothing. What happened? Come on, Dale. So um, Dale and I had some, some, some uh, issues. Uh, we tried to recruit Louisiana. I was at Southwest Louisiana when he was at LSU. Uh, we competed. So you bumped heads on more than one front. That's true. That's true. But I do know, I've, I've seen, Dell's a very pleasant guy, by the way. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of coaches that are good guys and a lot of people that are good people, but when you get in a competitive situation where there's only one winner and it's the one that's got the most points on the board, you better, you better buckle up. You met many hypocrites in the business over the years? So, uh, a few, yeah. If you 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 you'll find, uh, I imagine any profession, those that uh, uh, talk one way and act another, uh, go to the Rotary Club and talk about Sunday school class, and go down to the bar and be drank. You see that. I think that's true in any profession, but yeah, you see that in coaching. Biggest recruiting achievement in your career? The one guy that you sort of like to say, I got the job done. Well, at Kentucky, it would have to be Rick Roby. Uh, at Southwest Louisiana, it has to be Andrew Toney. Uh, so each, each, both of them went on and very successful. But, Oscar, I got to tell you, uh, people that think that one person recruits a player one assistant coach gets a player. He has a lot of help. I mean, uh, at Kentucky, you got the tradition of the past. You got the people in the stands that you can sell. You have things that you can sell at different schools, and that's that's the challenge I think for a recruiter is find the positive in your situation and let's sell it. If your head coach is the positive, let's sell it. If the fans. You know, if location, um, I mean, we, we sold Starville, Mississippi. It's been a great location because basketball is all there was. <laughs> and everybody's going to know your name. You know, from Memphis to New Orleans and over in Jackson, over to Tupelo, they're all going to know who you are. Bailey Howe was a good example of that. Boy, what a good guy he was. Bailey's still, well, I don't know if Bailey's still alive, honestly. But uh, Bailey, he lived, is, he is. Bailey lived in Starville. Yeah. Great supporter, great supporter. Matter of fact, Bailey Howe helped me get the Mississippi State job. Um, Bailey Howe's son-in-law is a guy by the name of Scott Strickland, who was, is the AD at Florida now and was the AD at Mississippi State before he took the Florida job. Yeah, yeah I, I, I knew that, but you're not going to find, a, to me, a better person than Bailey Howe. If you could look back throughout your career – College coaching. Who is the one player that you wished you had been successful in recruiting 
that you didn't get? Hmm. Well, I like. I thought Tree Rollins was pretty good. Moses Malone. We didn't get Moses. Moses went to the NBA, but uh, I loved Moses. Brought him in here one. Uh, his coach was a <clears throat> Coach Peel. Uh, interesting. Coach Peel controlled Moses Malone's recruiting, and uh, he determined what schools the kid was going to visit, and he limited the number of schools he's going to visit. In order to get a visit from Moses Malone, you had to pay Coach Peel. You had to ante up. And if you anted up, he'd visit your school. It was Appalachian State or wherever if you paid Coach Peel. So Moses made a lot of visits. Did Moses visit Kentucky? Moses visited Kentucky. We got lucky there. And I'll tell you how that happened. We got lucky there in that uh, I talked to Coach Peel, and I told him about the $500. Ain't going to be no $500. But I'll help you in other ways. I'll help you in your career. I'll help you in camps. You will get more than $500 from us, but it ain't going to be $500 from me. Well, he bought that. And we got Moses. They had a game on Friday night. We played on Saturday afternoon. And I flew Moses after the game on Friday night. And Coach Peel didn't want anybody to know this. We sent a private plane after after his his uh, game on Friday night. We sent a private plane over, picked him up after the game. I brought him over here, took him to the game at noon game, and flew him back to Virginia uh, after the game, and nobody knew it. And Moses Malone said to me when he left Memorial Coliseum, he didn't say much. He said, Coach, I like your place. I think that's what I want to do. Of course, he ends up going to the NBA. But we had a shot at Moses Malone. And uh, that was an interesting recruiting experience because you had to be there. Tree Rollins. Mm, boy, those were experiences with Tree. Um, <laughs> Clemson had a um, supporter. Not on the coaching staff. And uh, all the rest of us knew him, knew who he was, and we just called him the fat man. And the fat man was always around and sneaking around the corner and looking here at games. And and uh, so um, I go to see uh, Tree one on my regular visits. And the fat man, I knew his car. I knew his license plate. I knew all that stuff. And his car is parked out in front of Tree's house. This is signing time. Tree has committed to us. Tree wants to come to Kentucky. So I called Coach Hall and I said, Coach, we got a problem here. I said, Tree's committed. I got the papers with me, and we're supposed to sign him. But uh, a fat man from Clemson sitting out here in the car. And Joe said, Jim, you get in there as soon as you can. Break that party up. And he said, I'll be there just as soon as I can. So I pull up behind him go up and knock on the door. When I knock on the door, all hell breaks loose inside. The fat man runs out the back door. Tree comes to me and says, Coach, Coach, what's... I said, hey, what's going on here? He said, it's over. He said, <clears throat> fat man already gave Mama the money. He said, I got to go. He said, I can't. About that time, Joe pulls up in his car. He got a private plane, full down there. I, I said, Tree, it ain't over. We're going to break this up. 
And I went to the airport and got Joe, brought Joe over to Tree's house. But his mama, his mama had been taken care of, uh, not by the Clemson staff, but by the fat man who represented Clemson. And uh, that story would probably get a lot of people in trouble. But it wasn't the Clemson staff. It was somebody, uh, a supporter, a booster, a booster. A booster. And uh, so those were, two, you know, the recruiting of Tree Rollins, the recruiting of uh, Moses Malone were two we didn't get, but two that uh, uh, both committed and we had a shot at, but we didn't get them. After your stay at uh, Hardin-Simmons, you come back and join Joe B. in his last two years. Tell me what you remember most about those two years. And at the time you came back in, I guess, 83, 84, were you aware that there was only going to be two years and Joe was going to hang it up? Joe was very straight with me when I was coaching at Hardin-Simmons. I never forget it. Now you got to remember, I grew up in Kentucky. This is my home, and I love Kentucky basketball. Uh, he called one Sunday afternoon in the, in, in the fall after school has started, and he said, uh, uh, Jim, um, We've had some changes on our staff, and uh, I need you to come back. And I said, Joe, I'll be there. And no questions asked. I didn't ask about money. I didn't ask about position. I said, Joe, I'll be there. And, he, and I said, I'll be there tomorrow morning. So I'll get the first plane out of here. I'll be there tomorrow morning. He said, well, i, I got to go to Japan. He said, I won't be here. I said, I'm leaving tomorrow for Japan. And I said, don't matter. He said, "Will you come in and get with Jane and and uh, 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 go ahead and get started?" So I came back to Kentucky the second time. Joe was gone to Japan, and obviously, when you what to do, you just got to hit the road recruiting. And that was my and that was the greatest uh, compliment that I've ever been paid as a coach is when Coach Hall asked me to come back to Kentucky for the second time. I respect Joe Hall. Uh, I, I think he did an outstanding job, and uh, I think he's a good person, a good man, and I am forever, ever grateful for the opportunities that he gave me. The 83-84 season, who were you recruiting at the time as that season was going along? Is that his last year? That was his next to last year. I, I, you know, I can't uh, – help me here. I can't remember. Well, I, uh, I think Rob oh, Locke is that was Rob? in that group. Yeah, 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 Rob. Oh, Rob. Oh, that was good. Uh, I, I loved recruiting Rob Locke and uh, a good guy, really a good guy. And um, uh, I thought uh, the thing – he played so hard. He, he, he just – he would give you everything he had. And I, I loved recruiting Rob Locke and watching him play. And when, when you came back and Joe asked you to come back, did you have any feeling that he, it was going to be short term for him? That he, no, he told me. He said, "I don't." He said, "I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this." Okay. He didn't say I'm going to coach one more year or two more years. He said, "I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this." And I said, "Joe, it doesn't matter." So, I got a chance so to literally, you came in between the two first Louisville games. They'd played them in the tournament oh, at okay. the end of 83, and you were here for the first one of 83, 84. That's correct. Okay. Did the fact that 
he was more or less forced into playing that game. Do you think that had anything to do with his thought process going forward as to how long he wanted to coach? I didn't get that feeling. I really didn't. Uh, it may have. I, that's something I wouldn't know. Uh, I just know that that was a challenging game that was forced upon us by the state, uh, which I don't believe they should have done. But do I think Louisville and Kentucky should play? Yes, I do. But I don't think it should be a forced, mandated situation. During that summer and then opening up the season with Louisville was Sam Bowie's first time on the court in almost three years. What do you remember about leading up to that and being around Sam and actually seeing him on the floor for the first time when he really didn't know where he was going to be able to do it again or not? Yeah. Well, I guess one of the good things about me coming in and, and, and at that time, I, I didn't have a history of, of um, Sam's problems with his leg, with the broken leg, with the stress fracture. You know, so I'll confess, I was probably uh, not uh, fair to Sam in my demands on Sam as an assistant coach. Uh, and I do remember specifically after one practice uh, where I had Sam do some extra stuff because I, as assistant coach, wasn't pleased, and that was my responsibility. And I remember specifically uh, really making it tough on him, and after practice, Coach Hamilton comes over and says, Jim, he says, man, you really pushed it to the limit there. I said, be careful with Sam. I said, Sam's had a tough time. He said, you don't know how tough he's had it. I said He said, I actually thought he might walk off on you. He didn't. Sam didn't walk off. Sam did everything I asked him to do. Uh, but it, Leonard gave me that piece of advice. He said, Sam has had it tough. And uh, so that was walking in and not knowing and, and being probably – too demanding on a situation I wasn't as familiar with as I should have been. Was that uh, one of the better teams you've been associated with as far as coaching? Was no question. You, I mean, you put Bowie and Turpin, and and you know, and you got Masters shooting the ball, and you got Dickie Bill handling it, and you got Kenny Walker in there flashing into the middle and playing inside outside. Uh, outstanding team, a national championship team. Your thoughts on. Todd May and leaving when he did in the middle of it, the well, year. I wasn't here at that time. I'm not familiar with well, what he did, but if he left Kentucky, he, he screwed up. I don't know who did what to who, but if you leave Kentucky, you screw up. You're going to face challenges, a Kentuckian in life, and you better suck it up. So he made a mistake by leaving. Going through uh, that year, you ended up in a tournament playing Louisville a second time. Illinois in the regional at Lexington. What a game that was. And then the Final Four. So take me through the tournament process there. Well, uh, I thought we were going to win it all. I had, I, In my mind, I thought, this is a hell of a club. Joe's doing a great job. These kids are committed. There's a focus here. We're going to take this thing. And uh, that's the way it seemed as we went through the tournament. And uh, if you remember in the final game, after the first half, 
uh, we, we were up six? Or seven, seven. Six, seven. We're, we're up 11 or 12 earlier and then seven at the high. Yeah. You're talking about Georgetown. Yes, the yeah. Georgetown game. And, and I just thought we were going to go on with it. Um, and then you got to give Georgetown credit, buddy. You got to give John Thompson. He spread that thing out. We couldn't guard him. We couldn't go. We were big. They were smaller, quicker, good handlers. And it was a very hopeless, hopeless feeling in knowing that mm, there's nothing we can do here now. We as coaches just have to suck this up and hope we can get a break or two. But they were prepared. Georgetown was prepared for that game in a way to take advantage of some weaknesses we had that we had been able to overcome during the season. Such a bitter pill, but you come home and during the summer, you know you're in a total rebuilding stage. Mm-hmm. And take us through that last year and, well, let's just go straight to the SEC tournament. I think you lose the first game and most everybody is predicting that you're not going to make the field. In fact, I think there was one or two of the players already headed to Florida for spring break. Yeah, that was uh, – at that time – you you, uh, you hoped you would make it, but you weren't sure. And uh, uh, that was a, a, a season that uh, we were – I, as a coach, was looking to the future. I mean, we knew it was going to be tough after losing those players. We lost a lot of good talent, and we knew it was going to be tough. And so you're looking more at not this year – but what are we able to put together for the future and keep this Kentucky tradition going? And so that's the way I looked at that season. I didn't look at it as a uh, But you, you did get invited. Mm-hmm. You were uh, you had a couple of challenges right at the get-go. There was no easy way of going in by sneaking in the back door and getting a high seat. That's right. So you started out with Washington that had a couple of really great players on that team. Yeah. We, we were playing our best basketball at the right time during that uh, tournament. And uh, uh, Washington and, of course, uh, St. John's with uh, – Your second game was UNLV mm-hmm. and then St. John's. Correct. And uh, I, I even thought we would beat St. John's and go on. Uh, we were playing good basketball and, and, and uh, uh, things were – the, the the kids had really bought in, and I thought that team was overachievers because they bought in and they were sold on uh, we can do this, and, and so I, I was we were proud of that team. When did you find out Joe was going to hang it up? Did you know before the game or not? No, that was a shock to me. After the game. Players getting on the bus, and everybody's getting on the bus, and and I'm out there getting ready to get on the bus. And uh, Leonard came to him and said, Jim Joe's resigning. He's on a radio show right now. He's going to do it. I said, he ain't going to do it. So I go running back into the arena, and I go where Kaywood is, and Joe is resigning. My intention was to, you know, tackle him and tie him down somewhere. Because, uh, again, selfishly, I loved Joe, and he was doing a great job. But at the same time, I personally knew what it meant for me. Uh, it meant that I don't care who comes in here. They ain't keeping this boy. 
And uh, my, my days are done when he says he's through. I knew that, and um, I wasn't ready to quit coaching, but that's the way it happened. And, and uh, uh, we got on the bus and came home. After that, uh, you spent some time in the Virgin Islands, Murray State, for five years. Yeah. Uh, Gulf Coast Community College, retired in 98. Mm -hmm. How did um, those last few years work for you once you left Kentucky? Oh, okay. Not a Kentucky, obviously. Kentucky is about national championships. Those schools you just mentioned, uh, especially in the Virgin Islands, Geez, what a great group of kids. I mean, those kids in the islands, think about this. In the islands, if you, there's nothing, there's, it's for tourists. If you live there, you're either going to work in tourism or sell drugs. Those kids were so eager to play basketball. And uh, there was no basketball at the university. Uh, there was no airplane hangar that had been destroyed in a hurricane and it set the airport set right next to the campus in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. And I go in there and there's nothing there except two basketball goals and all the windows in there, so the airplane hangar are blown out. <laughs> and the guy said, coach, the first thing we got to do is get a floor. And so I had a friend that worked with Horner flooring manufacturer and I called him those floors at that time were costing about 500,000. We can't do this. He said, I'll tell you what, Jim, I, I, we make floors for every NCAA regional, men and women, and the final four. He said, I'll see what I can do to get you one of those floors. He said, what we'll have to do, we'll take it back, sand it, and put your stuff on it, put your name and all that on it. And, and um, he almost gave it to us. I said, this is the situation. I told him the situation. These kids want to play basketball. They have no chance. This is the only chance they have, and you can help us with the floor. And they did. So we put that wooden floor down, <laughs> and those kids came in there. They played. They played. We loved it. We loved it. Uh, of course, we played the Puerto Rican schools, and uh, I brought them to the States, to Miami. Uh, first time – most of them had been off the island because you you know you can't get a car and drive off the island you got to fly or get a boat but we're in miami my wife was driving one van i was driving another and we're taking them to the uh, uh saint thomas uh, was a college there in miami we're taking them there and there's a train track and a train going across it. And one of those kids in the back says, Coach, 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 look, a train, a train, a train. Man, I ain't never seen a train. <laughs> and so I love those kids. Uh, I, I did. And, and we had, uh, I still stay in contact with them. We, uh, one, of my assist, one of my players is now an assistant down there. And uh, I'll put this word out for anybody that's listening. And boys need some equipment. They don't have much down there. And uh, when I was down there, Bill Kitely at UK, I went over and said, I said, Bill, all this stuff that uh, these guys have worn two or three times and you're getting ready to get rid of, I need it. Well, Bill Kitely boxed up two huge boxes of used tennis shoes, used practice gear, sent it to the Virgin Islands. When those kids opened that, 
It was like Christmas. It was like they were so happy. Well, I loved that experience. So after Kentucky and winning uh, uh, the goal, winning national championships, my role in life as a coach became completely different. It was the kids, and that was the focus. After leaving that, retiring in 98, what have you done since then? I watch two games a night on TV. My wife, thank goodness, she's she's a basketball fanatic. She loves sports and grew up here in Clark County and and uh, big Kentucky fan. So uh, we're able to watch uh, – I said two games. We're able to watch one and a half. I go to bed halftime the second game. I can't stay up that late. <laughs> but but uh, I love basketball. Uh, Coach Cal has been very nice to me, and, and I have a – a guy that was with us at Murray State, Chris Woolard. Chris was with us at Murray State, and uh, so I visit with him. And I don't get to practice as much as I'd like to, but he has been very nice, and, and Chris has been very nice, and I've been able to go over and watch some practices. What do you think of Kentucky basketball today? Kentucky basketball today is in good hands. Uh, one, you got to recruit. Well, we know that story. Um, you got to have a recruiter, and 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 Coach Cal does an excellent job in bringing in players. And it, uh, to to somebody that's been to his practices, I can tell you he's also a teacher. I love it. I love it. He uh, the assistant coaches will handle the breakdown work uh, before practice starts for about an hour. Then Coach Cal walks on the floor and he conducts the practice. He is a great teacher. He's experienced enough to know what he wants, what his players can do, and how to adapt his players to what he wants or what he will have to do to succeed. And I think he's an outstanding coach. And I think in addition to being an outstanding coach, he's a great fit for Kentucky. If there's anything at all that you could change in your past career, what would it be? Well, Oscar, there's probably several. Okay, I mean, I I've made mistakes. I mean, I've made mistakes as a as a man and as a coach uh, that uh, I wouldn't do again. But at the same time, uh, I gained and I learned. So if those mistakes made me a better man, I think they did. Would you like to be remembered for by? players, other people that you've made friends with or who have touched throughout your career? I, I don't know. That's a difficult question. I think I think each uh, group of people that you come in contact with, you left a different impression on. People would look at me different uh, that know me from my experiences in the Virgin Islands than they would look at me as my experiences at Kentucky. Uh of great friends here. I mean, this, we came back to Lexington. We chose to live here after coaching because, one, it was home, but also because of some friends like Cecil Dunn. What a great man Cecil Dunn is. Uh, he, he's, he's one of those people that goes out of his way to help others, whether it be through the Hope Foundation or individually. And, and he's not the only one, but there's, there's a lot of people uh, that, that, through my associations here at Kentucky, uh, I know to be uh, better than what some other people think they are. Uh, 
Don Johnson, what a good guy, Dudley Webb, those guys, yes, I got to know them through Kentucky basketball. But what I got to know was about their heart, too. And uh, Oscar, you're a good man. I, I, I'm, I'm, again, Jerry Tipton, uh, Rob Bromley. I, you know, I could name a lot of people that, even though they don't know it, are part of the reason that we came back to Lexington. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it very much. Oh, thank you, Oscar, and good luck to you, bud. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. For more with Coach Jim Hadfield, you can go back and check out Episode 38, Part 1 of Oscar's Conversation. And to listen to past and future episodes of Conversations with Oscar Combs, you can listen to those at oscarcombs.com. Also, Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, can be automatically downloaded to your mobile device. For Apple users, search iTunes for at Wildcat News and subscribe. For Android users, search the Google Play Store for at Wildcat News and subscribe. That's it, and you're now guaranteed to get all of Oscar's conversations delivered to your mobile device hassle-free. And, of course, to stay up to date with the Wildcats, follow the O-Man on Twitter at Wildcat News. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. And, as always, go Big Blue.